You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole where all the kung fu is happening. Everybody is kung fu fighting and I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing. And with me as she is every single week, kung fu master, Christy Morris. Or Tigress, one of the five. Ooh, Ooh, very nice, very (laughs) nice. Oh, man, I, I was so excited uh, to rewatch this movie. It's been so long since I've seen it, and I'm so excited to discuss Kung Fu Panda with you. But before we dive into the film this week, uh, of course, as always, we're just so thankful that people are listening. Uh, we appreciate you tuning into the 602 Club. It means a lot to Christy and I. Uh, if you love our show, we would really enjoy it if you would reach out to us over on social media at the 602 club on twitter of course on instagram we're at the 602 club tfm both of those places follow us interact with us we love getting to talk to people about what's going on here and of course all the latest nerd news that's going on as well you can also find the entire network on facebook at facebook.com slash track fm you got the listeners only discussion group you can join that and talk to listeners from all over the world. Of course, we've got Trek.fm where you can see all of the shows that are happening here on the network. There's a lot going on. And maybe uh, you would like to help out the network. You can go over to Patreon, patreon.com slash Trek.fm and become part of our team. Uh, we really could use the help. It costs a lot to put this together. And it's only with listeners just like you that that's a possibility. And... We've got some special bonuses that have been coming to you from the 602 Club. We did our first episode of the VIP room that you can only find on Patreon if you're a supporter over there. And that was a lot of fun. We've got more of those that are going to be coming out this year as well. So look forward to that. Uh, You can also help us out by subscribing wherever you get your show. Make sure you get uh, the podcasts as soon as they drop. And then last but not least, we would love it if you'd like go over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of those places. You can give us star ratings on Apple Podcasts. You can also give us written reviews. Those really help people find the show, uh, and we also read those reviews out. Now, I'm sure you've heard that a million times in any podcast, but it really is true. Uh, those podcast reviews make a huge difference, and or those ratings. Uh, the, the better the rating, the more it helps the show. So we really do appreciate everybody that has done that for us already, and uh, we can't wait to have the opportunity to read more of them because we've got more of them to read. Uh, so, Christy... I thought one of the most interesting things, you know, we obviously, just a few weeks back, uh, we talked about Shrek, which was one of the major hits after uh, Prince of Egypt for DreamWorks. And after Shrek, they ended up doing like Madagascar and, you know, DreamWorks just became a hit very quickly. Um, And of course... For Kung Fu Panda, they turned to the genius of of Jack Black and his comedic genius to to lead us into this next film. But I just wanted to ask you, what do you think ended up leading to the success of DreamWorks animation just taking off? Well, I think the big thing was that although they were doing something similar style to Pixar, they were still definitely a a slightly different artistic style in the way that their 3D animation came out, which sets them apart. Mm -hmm. And then also they were picking people who I'm sure you noticed as well, didn't start solely as voice actors. They were people we already knew very well as on screen in-person actors. So I think that was also Mm -hmm. their biggest strength was getting people like, um, you know, Myers and Jack Black and um, Dave Schwimmer for Madagascar, Chris Rock, right. people like that, rather than just people purely doing voice acting. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's part of it. Um, you know, and and that's one of the things that we had seen 
you know, Disney very much begin to do, especially uh, when, you know, we were in the very late 90s and into the early 2000s. Uh, and that was was a, a case across the board, I think, in animation. Um, and so, but I, you know, I was also thinking through this because, you know, it, it is an interesting thing to me. You had these two major studios of course you had pixar who was affiliated with disney even though at that time they were still their own thing uh and of course you had disney animation and then you had dreamworks and i i was i think one of the things that dreamworks did is that it kind of cornered the market on having a slightly more adult feel to their films Mm. um that the humor was even more so aimed at, you know, teenagers and adults. Um, But uh, I also think, uh, you know, with Shrek and Madagascar, uh, you know, Shrek specifically too, you're, you're kind of like riffing on and doing parodies of things. And so I think that's kind of where, you know, they, they found a way to do films in the vein of something that many, especially adults, were more familiar with. So, you know, when you were taking your kids to these films, um, you had even more as an adult to be able to appreciate. Mm -hmm. So I I kind of think that that's one of the reasons that they ended up becoming such a success in the animated uh, feature market. And then, of course, you know, they would go on to do, like, How to Train Your Dragon and those kind of things, like... They just found this way to define stories that fit what fit with their animation studio and fit kind of their hallmark uh, and make it their own. But I, I something that was really interesting for me in doing some research is that I didn't realize that instead of the very straightforward approach that we get in this film, which is to, I think, be very much an action comedy with you know martial arts heroes um you know very heroes journey driven type of thing um they had actually conceived of the film as being more of a parody of martial arts films and and i'm guessing kind of more in the vein of shrek and do you feel like they ended up making the right decision in making this kind of a more straightforward type film than going the parody route. It is interesting you say that because, I mean, definitely, I think they could have gone either way. But I wonder if part of the conversation was also with something like martial arts, you don't want it to come across like you are being snide. You know, like even a parody sometimes is meant to be more of an homage and, you know, show of adoration. And so I wonder if it was also just they were concerned that it maybe sounded too, um, Mm -hmm. too mean. I don't know, because there there are obviously so many people around the world that are into martial arts and there's all different types and it's got such a history with it. So, I mean, you would never want people to feel like you're just making them the butt of the joke. Yeah, that's, I, I think that's a, a really good point. Um, and I, I think, you know, I, I think that you could do this, right? You know, there's been so even in just thinking in the adult realm, and I do I don't mean adult as in <laughs> pornographic. That's not what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about, uh, folks. So get your mind out of the gutter. But I, I do mean just the idea of doing parody films. A, a lot of um, movies, like you know, you 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 think of um, like undercover brother and you know all the movies that made fun of the horror genres and Mm -hmm. you know that are parody films of these type of things and you know you can do that great right you and you can make that work and but i think i think just one of the successes for me for this movie is the fact that they went with the straightforwardest approach that respects the films that it is basing itself off of mm-hmm. right in many ways i feel like this creates a wonderful bridge for kids to then be able to you know they grow up with kung fu panda and then they'll have the ability to be able to appreciate 
you know, the martial arts films of Bruce Lee or, you know, something like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon or something like that, because they've seen this Mm -hmm. and this isn't making fun of those things. It's actually, I think, doing a good job of kind of honoring where it comes from and doing it in and on the level of being more family friendly. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that was just to me. As I was rewatching this film, I was thinking, I think that's just a much better approach to this than going the parody direction. Yes, I'm a thousand percent with you. I Like I said, I think that it could have felt too um, offensive, possibly, to people that are into martial arts if they had gone the parody route. Because the thing, too, is like if you look at Shrek, it's not in its storyline a parody of anything it's its own thing so they could go the parody route with the story like dialogue and stuff because it wouldn't be considered something that was a big deal um whereas here i feel like it not only has heart to the story it also shows you that they have respect for martial arts so yeah i I think that this was the Mm -hmm. right direction to go with that and I think that it's a more compelling story because they went straight forward with it. Yeah. And and I mean, in many ways, I think what you end up doing is you end up putting yourself in a category that feels more like uh, something like a Star Wars where, you know, George Lucas is doing homage of all of the, you know, old serials. Mm-hmm. Right. But making his own, um, you know, in, in the vein of Flash Gordon here, you're making a, you know, martial arts driven film in the vein of a lot of those things that have come out before. But you're doing it in a kid friendly, family friendly way by anthropomorphizing animals in ancient China rather than having it kind of be. In the vein of something like a Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or any of those type of movies, I I think, you know, yeah, this is just was a smart way to go. Um, Now, we talked just a little bit about, uh, you know, Jack Black, of course, being the the thing that this is built around. Um, But I, I, you know, this voice cast, I think, is extensive um you know i'm looking through the list of all of the people in here you know whether it's jack black or justin hoffman or ian mcshane or randall duck kim or angeline jolie i mean the list goes on and on lucy Liu, david cross jackie chan uh you know seth rogan it's it's a ridiculous list of people um and i i think what is interesting is that like Shrek, I do feel like that, especially with the main character, they did an incredible job of mere and and like mimicking everything that Jack Black is as an animated character and just using his persona to bring this to life. So, I mean... I don't know if Poe could be any more Jack Black than he is, except that he's just animated. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's another really smart thing for this film. And I think it's another reason why um, DreamWorks really works, especially at this time period, is that they were bringing in this voice talent. And then they weren't trying to hide specifically the main star that the movie's built around. They were utilizing everything that makes Jack Black popular, mm-hmm. which is a genius move. Like, you know, you don't hire somebody and then, like, ask them to do something different. Mm-hmm. Well, and this, too, was definitely at the height of his career. Um, two years before, he had done Tenacious D in The Pick of Destiny. Um, he had done Shallow Hal. He had done um, School of Rock, Nacho Libre. Like, it was just really, like all about Jack Black at that time. So I think just even by casting him, they were already capitalizing on something that was a big Mm -hmm. commodity. And then they did it even more justice by making the character so much like him and the mannerisms um, and the look, obviously, and like, you know, the jokes about him being a little tubby um, because Jack Black is really um, good spirited about making fun of himself. I think that they make that apparent with the character. So it doesn't feel like, oh, no, it's okay. You know, like he needs some consoling. Like he's just being honest about how he feels about himself. Um, Right. 
And it's funny. And I think you couldn't have gone a better way than to just really lean into it the same way that they did with, you know, Robin Williams is genie. He made that character. Right. Yes. And I, I was reading and found out this was apparently Jack Black's favorite character he's ever voiced. Mm. Which was nice to hear. I, I, I love that you pulled out the, uh, uh, the, the Robin Williams reference with genie because, you know, I think in many ways, so many of these animated features, I think, were trying to find that kind of magic again mm-hmm. in in the way in which, you know, uh, he became synonymous with that character, right? And he just made that character. Like, you know, Robin Williams was Genie. In the same way, I think, you know, that... Mike Myers was Shrek and then Jack Black becomes Poe. Like they are just these characters, right? And they do a great job of merging everything they are with this fictionalized character. So it it almost feels like there's there's no disconnect there, you mm-hmm. know? Um and I think that's one of the things that just makes them feel so real right and and i think you know even like you talking about how you know we deal with poe and his you know uh, we'll talk a lot later about you know belief and belief in oneself and all those kind of things and 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 the experience of what it is to be like you know when nobody believes in you and and who brings that to life better than somebody like jack black who just it's he's he's somebody who throughout this film poe wants to please people and he wants to be the best that he can be but he also has these dreams and nobody believes he can do it and he just plays that to perfection and this movie doesn't work at all if he can't make the comedy as well as the drama of this actually work Mm -hmm. yeah uh, definitely i mean if you're thinking about the drama in the scenes especially with him and shifu for example he really I think initially you're you're not sure how it's going to go between him and Dustin Hoffman playing off of each other, because obviously that's some big acting chops to stand up to. Um, but they end up just having this chemistry that works so well and it mm-hmm. goes grows along the way. And I think especially in the scene where, you know, obviously Shifu finally learns what motivates Poe and how it's different, that fight between the two of them over the dumplings was the best right. part of the yeah. whole movie yeah it's great i love that you bring up dustin hoffman because i think i would not you know when i'm thinking of people to cast as a voice for the character of shifu i don't think that he would necessarily come to mind mm-hmm. you know um and yet i think one of the things that he does so well is that dryness in his delivery and his character that he really brings to Shifu that makes him come alive and feel real, you know? Um, you also get the the drama and, and the feelings from him that he has been let down. He has been hurt because he believed in this person and it turned out to be the wrong person to believe in. And he had put his heart and soul into it and he had been broken Mm -hmm. because of it. And Dustin Hoffman, I think, does a phenomenal job of playing that. And I don't, I mean, I don't think that you get that right unless you have a character who can not only do the dry comedy that you need, but also put into his performance the amount of depth and feeling that's needed to make you believe those other scenes that are happening. Mm-hmm. And well, and have that even just a feeling of being very wise beyond his years, um, influential mm-hmm. yeah, kind of person. I hundred percent agree with you. And that's the other thing I think that um, I am a huge fan of Ian McShane. I think he does such a great job of playing all different types of roles. Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, he can be a hero, he can be a villain, he can be somewhere in between. And and I think, you know, he just has an incredible voice in general. And so to have him be Tai Lung is 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 our arrogant villain here is fantastic because he just like sinks his teeth into the role right no pun intended uh, and it, <laughs> yeah or pun intended either way um and it's that i mean he, he even has that growl in his voice that he's able to utilize with this character in a way that completely brings it to life since he's a snow leopard and so i again this is a choice here that you make where you know, voice acting is is such a a difficult thing um, to do because you have to make with your voice the ability for people to believe whatever it is you're saying in a way that's hard to do when they're not actually going to see your face in the same way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where it's going to have to be an animator who's going to hear what's happening with your voice and find a way to bring that to life. And um, I think Ian McShane was just another great choice here as a voice um, because it's so distinctive. Mm-hmm. And it's he's such a good he's such a good villain at playing that character who's just like totally sold out to himself and his thirst for power that he cares about nothing but that. And he does that really, really well. Right. Like I'm um Oh gosh, I'm trying to think of who the voice was of uh, Scar from The Lion King. Jeremy Irons. Oh, Jeremy Irons, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I think of people like Jeremy Irons that have a similar kind of voice. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's just, it is very distinctive. I think that's the best word you could put on it. And he does have a very deep, almost menacing sound it, with the way he can use his voice. And mm-hmm. uh, like you said as well, Ian McShane is so versatile anyway. Um, but I think that just sort of like Anthony Hopkins, you feel like he's found his stride when he's playing a villain. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, yeah. he can just be so creepy. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I I believed it here because it was him and it, because it was familiar. Um, it just works. Yeah, I agree. I I want to ask you because you know you got just the Furious Five you know you got Angelina Jolie Seth Rogen Lucy Liu David Cross um, Jackie Chan and how how do you feel like that they all did with the film and 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 do you feel like maybe they were even necessarily given enough to do in the movie so that like you could get a sense of like who they are as characters because of the voice. It's weird. You know, I, there's times that I really like them all together, but I think for the most part, I felt that maybe there were too many. I think it would have been more manageable plot wise. If you had two instead of five, (laughs) the furious two, (laughs) (laughs) there can be only one. Um, yeah, it it just felt like there wasn't much for them to do because there were so many. Mm-hmm. And really the focus needed to be on Poe and Shifu. Um so it you're getting great voices but then to do a very small amount. And so I actually mm-hmm. didn't realize who all the voices were until I went back and looked later. Um mm-hmm. yeah. And I I think Tigress was actually my least favorite character. Because I felt like story-wise, she just wasn't um, as fleshed out as the others. But, I mean, you tell me what you think. Yeah. Um, I think that you do have an interesting point about the idea of maybe that there are too many. And I, I think part of it is just that there isn't quite a, a lot for these characters to actually get to do voice acting-wise because they don't have a large part of the story. Um, you know, uh, you do get um, them kind of talking to Poe when he's cooking for them. And, you know, when they kind of start to warm up to him a little bit and he's telling, they're telling him the background and everything of what's happened. And I think 
I don't know if I, I, I might disagree with you a little bit though, because I felt like the way that they at least portray the story, you end up with Tigress. It, it feels like she's the one who's been there the longest and was the first one who was the aftermath of what happened with Tai Long. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who, she has some of the same desires that Tai Long did. She wants to be the best in all of those things. She wants to, but but it's more that really what she wants is just she just wants her master's approval. Mm-hmm. And um, and in like, you know, that uh, a father type story where that's not happening, she's kind of left uh, always feeling not good enough. And I think if there's anything, I, I, I like that story a lot because it fits in with the other thematic elements i think pretty well i think what i would have just liked is for there to maybe be two to three minutes more dedicated to the that specifically Mm -hmm. um and flushing that out just a little bit more yeah i mean maybe that's what it is that bothers me that I, i feel like i'm not really getting enough of a motivation in the backstory for her to then justify the behavior um Mm -hmm. so i could see that yeah yeah and i you know i again i'm not asking i mean five minutes at most you know with an animated movie you can do a lot i think uh in that Mm -hmm. and i think the story they tell comes across i think pretty well um and there's a sense in which they're showing and telling at the same time because, you know, they're showing the flashbacks and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it just happens so quickly and you kind of pass over it too quickly. And what you needed was just a little bit more time to sit with that, with those, especially with all of those characters, because in many ways, that's where every single one of those characters fits, right? That's that's one of their um major issues which is you know i I think this movie um it it feels very uh you know ted lasso-ish right like the the big point of this film is about believing and and believe and belief Mm -hmm. and um and how important it is for every single person to not only believe in themselves but to have other people that believe in them as well Mm -hmm. you know and I think, you know, there there's such a beauty in that. You know, Poe needs Shifu to believe in him, and Shifu needs to not keep his distance. You know, when it comes to, uh, you know, um, training up the next generation, you can't do it disconnected from the person that you're trying to raise, that you're mm-hmm. trying to teach. Um, and... That's clearly, I think, one of the, the the things that we see is, you know, the final, the Furious Five, right? They're, they've been raised by a master who isn't truly invested in them personally. He's become detached. And that detachment has actually hurt their development because there's a disconnect between their master and them. Um, and that comes from that that need for him to be fully invested and to for them to be able to know that he believes in them mm-hmm. and with that being gone they could never actually be the elite warriors that they're supposed to be in the way that they need to be to be able to be you know the dragon warrior yeah and i thought too it was explained so well especially in the scene with um Grandmaster Uguay and talking about the peach tree and saying that, you know, you can't change the way things are, but you can believe. And that, you know, you, nothing's ever going to grow, <laughs> pardon the pun again, mm-hmm. um, if you don't do that. And I think of it the same way as like a, a coach and an athlete that. All of the mm-hmm. best athletes that have gone on to do multiple Olympics and stuff had a coach that it was like a symbiotic relationship. 
it mm-hmm. was like another parent figure in their life and they were constantly working right. together on stuff. And you're right. You can't be detached and also be an excellent teacher. I really like that you brought that up about what Ugwe says to Shifu, because I think it is it is an important part of this whole thing in that. Yes, you cannot change the nature of a peach. But you can make it the best peach there is, right? Mm-hmm. You can make it the best peach tree by cultivating it and caring for it and doing all the things that are needed to take care of a tree to make it the best fruit-bearing tree possible, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's something actually really beautiful about that idea because that's in in many ways the, the most important process for us as humans in growth, right? Um, and unlike peach trees or any trees for that matter, right? There is a specific way in which you you help humans grow. Um, but some of the things are similar for human beings and some of them are very different because not all human beings are the exact same. You know, mm-hmm. we are not robots that can be programmed with just one program, right? We all have our different learning styles. We all have our different ways of of taking in information. We all have different personalities. We all have different, um, you know, character traits. And, you know, uh, there's so many things that do make us different. And so to pull the best out of each person is to have to spend the time to truly get to know that person, what makes them tick, and then taking what you know and passing it on to them in a way that actually makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a that's a really beautiful lesson, I think, in this film is in and of the respect in that you to believe in somebody like that and to know somebody like that, like Anyone who has ever had anybody, a mentor or friend or parent, you know, a spouse, a loved one, truly build into you as a person, that's the process that somebody's gone through, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I think that's the beauty of this film is kind of showing the lack of that. We see that in many ways, um, especially with The Furious Five. And then the reawakening that happens in Shifu and realizing that to actually teach Poe, he has to teach Poe on a level that Poe gets. Mm-hmm. Poe's personality is different than all of the other personalities that he's trained before. Um, he has to teach him uh, in a way that makes sense to him, to bring the lessons alive to him in a way that he can truly grasp, you know, um, and that's going to be different than the way he did with the other, you know, uh, the, the Furies Five. So mm-hmm. I love that. I, I think that's such a great message. Yeah, I'm I'm completely with you. I felt the same thing with the Dragon Scroll and realizing on you know Poe's end, realizing that it was blank. I think it's so perfect because immediately I feel in in the audience you're going, oh, of course it's blank. That makes sense because it's all about the belief, like you said, and, and the self-reflection um, and about working as hard as you possibly can for something because you want to be a better you right. rather than just to get something. And mm-hmm. and that's the thing that Tai Lung never gets and can't believe that it's blank. Um, and I think that that's a really recurring lesson in martial arts movies Right. You know, if you think about like Karate Kid and stuff, it was never about being the biggest or the strongest guy. It was about learning the lessons and being the best you you could be. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think I, I love that. And I think the beauty of what you were saying, too, and I was, I was just like, oh, I love that mm-hmm. is that. You still have to work hard. Yeah. Right. Like that. That's what I I think is one of the most important things about this film. Poe does not become the dragon warrior because he's special. Right. Right. He keep 
becomes the dragon warrior because he has somebody believe in him who allows him to believe in himself, but he also puts in the work. It might be different than the the work that was done by the the Furious Five, right? In a different type of training regiment, but he puts in the hard work. Mm-hmm. And that if we want to be whatever it is we want to be, that it's not going to just come easy to us. It's always going to take hard work and belief. You have to have both of those things. You can't just have belief and no hard work, and you can't just have hard work with no belief. Mm-hmm. You know, And that's what I think this movie does a great job of showing. The two go together. And I, I think that might be one of the most important lessons um, when this movie came out. Uh, for all generations, and I think it might be even more applicable today. Mm-hmm. I think there's just too many people who want things to be handed to them without hard work. Um, and you can't do it without hard work and somebody to believe in you. And so um, that's a great message of this film that you know really just resonated in me all over again. Oh, for sure. I love that it was so much bigger than just being a kid's movie because of those things. And like I said, like the Mm -hmm. callbacks to other martial arts things, um, you know, that there's always a a clever hidden lesson, just like all of the Confucius quotes, you know. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I loved that when they finally got to the Dragon Scroll, that it was blank and it was, you know, Poe's effort and the the partnership with Shifu that really got him to the point he needed to be that it was never about like you mm-hmm. said like being special or right. being the chosen one well and that is something that is very interesting with the tai lung part of the story and with shifu is the idea that you can have be- belief in the wrong person and your love can blind you to seeing people for who they truly are. And of course, this story very much kind of mirrors like a Star Wars type of story where, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan, right? Obi-Wan being somewhat blind and turning a blind eye to the proclivities of Anakin. Shifu does the same thing here. He turns a blind eye to his students' worst traits Mm -hmm. because he cares about him too much. And that there's a really important lesson here as well with this idea of, you know, truly loving somebody is not ignoring their faults. Truly loving somebody is helping somebody confront their faults and overcome them. Exactly. And that's another really incredible lesson from this film. Oh, definitely. I I think that you get to see so much how Tai Lung has this weakness that was always apparent that he just wanted power, that he wanted to be above everyone, and that it was never about what he could do with that or about Mm -hmm. serving others. And that's not what Shifu and Ugwe were about at all. Right. But Shifu, exactly like you said, he overlooked that and instead of trying to help his student overcome those things he still believed that he was this perfect thing until that was what his undoing Mm was right right well and the interesting thing about that is is that by turning a blind eye to his students you know more destructive proclivities he just reinforces them in his student mm-hmm. instead of helping Tai Long deal with those things early and finding a way to overcome them. You get to the point where there's a point of no return. Mm-hmm. And Tai Long has, you know, for all intents and purposes, become evil because. He cannot see a world in which anything but his own selfishness matters mm-hmm. and will not be able to do so either and refuses to do so. And I think 
that's again that's the the the, the storyline that I think makes this just so interesting because it is really deep. Um, and there's a lot of layers to this, and much like when we talked about Shrek, that go way beyond just you know your normal kids movie, uh, which I think is what makes me really enjoy watching this film because it does have something very important to say, even to me. Mm-hmm. And and that it doesn't just lean into the joke all the time. That they mm-hmm. let you sit in those important moments and really feel the heartfelt parts of the story. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a kid's movie. Well, and that's another thing I think, you know, I love that you mentioned the humor here because I do think that that's one of the things that this movie just does very well. Um, you know, not only does it lean into the humor, which, you know, makes sense because you've got Jack Black here and that's one of the things that Jack Black is known for. But I think the the humor all works really well in this movie like there's sometimes when i rewatch a film like this and the humor doesn't necessarily land as well because it's too tied in to something current you know mm-hmm. and a lot of this humor i think is just so natural and based within the world that it's in and not so worried about trying to do jokes meta jokes outside of uh the story that it's telling that it makes this humor work again and again and again which is i think another very important thing uh, for uh, especially this type of film you know animated features for the most part i tend to think of them as is is wanting to be timeless and i think this is more timeless because it's not tying its humor to a specific time period Right. We would say it's grounded. It's based in its own little world. That's good. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it work. Yeah. I, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Mm -hmm. What did you, uh, we, you know, we talked a little bit about earlier, uh, because you mentioned at the very beginning, you know, the ways in which the, the, DreamWorks has, you know, very much its own animation style. Um, and how did how did you feel about the animation for Kung Fu Panda? I mean, I didn't even know this, but they actually had the animators take six hour long Kung Fu classes just to kind of get them ready ready for this film, um, which I think is amazing. Um, but yeah, how do, especially now watching it so many years later, how does this hold up for you? I think for sure, now that I learned that, you can see it's evident that they knew something about the moves that were needed in Kung Fu and martial arts to be able to make it look realistic for the characters. Um, I think that there were times that I was a little bit pulled out of the animation, um, but for the most part, it really looks great. Um, I I definitely... Um, like the style overall that they really make all of the characters, even if they're, you know, a red panda or a duck, um, have these traits in their facial features and bodies that are reminiscent of mm-hmm. Asian culture um, without being disrespectful. The only thing that bothered me that I will say with the animation was, you know, they were trying to also in- incorporate things like the pigs in there Sometimes the pigs looked a little weird, like trying to give one a five o'clock shadow. It just looked like he was dirty. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So minor qualm. But um, yeah. But yeah. And like I said, the best scene overall in the whole movie to me was when Poe and Shifu finally do their Mm -hmm. kung fu fight over the dumplings because it was like choreography. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of the animation here. I think it looks really beautiful. And I'm actually really surprised in just the way I, uh, that it, it holds up after all these years. I, I think it is just detailed enough uh, to, to be spectacular, but it's also, I think, animated enough so that it, it, it there doesn't have to be perfection. Um, I also love the choice of doing the... 2D animation beginning, right? Yeah. Where, uh, you know, uh, you have Poe's dream. Uh, and it 
feels like, uh, you know, those um, more traditional Chinese drawings mm-hmm. are really cool. And so I think, yeah, this just the whole thing works for me. And I would, I, I would love actually, and I, I would like to at this point. I don't know if it is, but I, I really want this in like a like a four K ultra high def um, HDR. I think it would look beautiful I, because the work that they put into this, you can tell. Um, and I, I was when I was reading about this, the the visual effects artists, you know, as they're putting this together, they weren't even sure exactly how they were going to do all this for what was required for the film because it was really complicated and it's it's something beyond anything that they had tried before, really, mm-hmm. which I think shows in the movie and it it works, I think, pretty seamlessly. So. Uh, I'm a huge fan, and I think they did a great job with it. And so um, I didn't put this on the outline, but so Hans Zimmer and John Powell together worked on the soundtrack. Um, did you did you like it? Did you feel like it fit um, that they, they pull off kind of the world of ancient China as well as a, you know, a kung fu film for you? Yeah, I mean, and I've always liked Hans Zimmer. Usually he is um someone that makes me happy with everything that he does so mm-hmm. i didn't think i yeah. wouldn't like it here but i think that they definitely did a great job of capturing the instruments and the sounds that you would want for a martial arts movie um and to make it feel like it fits culturally i think also especially with the action scenes they really did well with putting those together to make it realistic and put you in the moment. Um, so overall I was really happy with it. I, I wouldn't say that necessarily it stands out on its own to me, but it works seamlessly for the movie. Yeah. I thought that, uh, I was, I was listening to it today. Uh, and I think that they did a very good job of kind of crafting something that feels like, it's it's very much referencing the sound that you would expect and and hope that would be in a film uh, of, of ancient China, mm-hmm. and, but also mirroring the kung fu films of like the fifties and sixties type of thing, um, and all of that kind of wrapped up together. I think really worked in the movie. I think they did a great job. You know, Hans Zimmer is great. I, I like John Powell's work a lot. He obviously does. Um, Many other uh, DreamWorks films, uh, you know, he he did How to Meet Your Dragon, um, you know, more recently in films, he did Solo, which I love his work for that, mm-hmm. you know, so I think he's very talented as, uh, too, and so putting all of that together, I think they they did a great job in crafting something that works for this movie, which is the most important thing about a score. It needs to create the world of the film Um in some ways that just feels like natural and, mm-hmm. and like, oh yeah, that's exactly what it should sound like. And I think they really do that. So I'm, I feel like that as we've talked to this, I don't know if we've really said anything super negative. So I am very fascinated to see where you're going to come down with your ratings, Christy for Kung Fu Panda. Well, I forgot to tell you something at the beginning and I'll tell you now, this was my first ever viewing of this movie. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to finally watch it. Um, I don't know why I just never got around to it before, but now I'm glad that I did because obviously we had good things to say about it. But I think overall I was really surprised and impressed with the depth here for something that initially I was worried was going to be a silly kids movie, to be honest. I think from the previews and stuff, you just don't necessarily pick up on all the stuff that you end up with in this movie. And so I'm glad that I finally watched it. And I really, you know, like I said, only had a couple of tiny criticisms of it. But overall, I give it a four and a half out of five um, mustaches because there's a lot of those in this movie. And it's it's just fun. I would definitely watch it again. I think that it's also something, obviously, you can watch great with your family, with nieces and nephews, and have a good lesson that they learn from it without being too adult. So I think that it fits well 
alongside something like a Shrek without being too far. So, uh, yeah, a four and a half for me. Yeah, I really like this movie. And I was actually really impressed with the way that it held up as I was rewatching it uh, because I hadn't seen it in a long time. And so, you know, there's always the possibility when you go back to something that it's going to be like, ooh, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. and that did not happen. Uh, In fact, um, as I was thinking about what my ratings for this would be, um, and I went back to Letterboxd to log the film, it had been at a four, uh, but I'm going to be in the same place as you. I am going to give this a four and a half out of five. Uh, Kung Fu! Because it (laughs) totally deserves it. Uh, This is... This is a really great movie that has, I think, a fantastic message, and it also, I think, brings to life um, a really fun world, uh, you know, the world of kung fu and and all of these things. So, uh, and I think it sets the stage for kids to to kind of fall in love with this type of film and then want to go on and watch, you know, the classic kung fu films. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. I'm a huge fan. I think everybody should check this out. Uh, but Christy, uh, it is the time of the show where we give our recommendations. So what would you like to recommend to all of our listeners this week? Well, I think that I had to go with something Jack Black related this week. So I'm going to call back all the way to 2006, the year I graduated high school, when I discovered Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny. And all of the fantastic music that still holds up that is in that movie. Um, So I think that definitely if you haven't ever seen it, you need to check it out. You'll be singing along. Um, I wouldn't say overall it's got the greatest plot ever, but it's hilarious and it is very Jack Black. So, um, yeah, check out Tenacious D in The Pick of Destiny. Very nice. Very nice. Well, as we're recording this uh, today, they dropped the trailer uh, for the well, it's supposed to be the final season, but who knows whether it's actually going to be. Uh, but Ted Lasso season three is coming in March, and I can't wait. So if you haven't watched this show, it is the perfect time to go catch up on Apple+. Plus. Uh, otherwise, if you have, I mean, I don't know if you could be, if I could be more excited about the show returning. So make sure you check out Ted Lasso season one and two so you're ready for season three. Christy, uh, if people wanted to see what else you've got going on, where would they catch up with you? Sure, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd at Bespin Bell. And then, of course, on Facebook as well. Um, And when I'm not here, you know, I have a show that I did with my friends Amanda and Teresa called Sabres and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. But what about you? Well, you can find me all over social media and the name Matt Rushing02, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero are the places I'm most active. Uh, of course, you can also find me here on the network and the 602 Club as we talk about everything outside of Star Trek. Uh, it's so much fun. we got some bonus shows there, doing with John Mills, Snyder Cuts, as well as Assembling Avengers. There's literary treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise, Saddle Up about Strange New Worlds, and of course, The Artificial Tango is back because Star Trek Picard Season 3 is happening now, and Chris and I are having a blast talking about that. You can also find me over on The Nerd Party, two shows, one called Owl Post, did that with Drea Kaufman, talked through every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then last but not least, doing aggressive negotiations with the great John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? 